I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It's coming out! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass. Hello everybody and welcome to your first Rugby Weekly Extra Monday review pod of the new season. Hope you all had a great weekend. It's Gavin Casey here and you might notice that you're getting today's pod whether you're a member or a non-member of the 42. We just wanted to welcome you all back for the province's seasons really and give people a sample of what life could be like if you're a rugby nod who has been missing out on these exclusive Monday pods or our Wednesday pods with former Ireland and Melbourne Rebels performance analyst Owen Toulon and our post-match pods immediately following every Ireland test, all of which can be yours for 22-23 if you join us at members.the42.ie. On today's show, we're going to examine Matthew Rinal's selfish destruction of Australia's rugby championship campaign. We're going to take you under the bonnet of the first Interpro of the season as well between Ulster and Connacht. Plus, we'll look at Leinster and Munster's contrasting fortunes in their season's openers. We're going to field some members' questions along the way as well. Joining us to do so is the 42 rugby journalist, Murray Kinsler, who you might have seen on Orti's URC panel over the weekend. Murray, how are things? Good, Gav. How are you? Absolutely flying it. Looking forward to getting stuck into the chat. Uh, joining us as well is former Leinster Connacht and Ireland hooker, as well as Grenoble and Dragons head coach, Bernard Jackman. Birch, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, lads. Good. Will we dive straight into Raynal? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, so we didn't really talk about it much uh, between the three of us and usually coming into a pod I have a vague idea as to what you think of things but I actually don't know what you made of Matthew Reynal's uh, decision Birch at the end of that game to penalise Australia and Bernard Foley for time wasting a decision which ultimately cost them the game in that New Zealand consequently scored was Reynal right to your mind where do you come down in it to begin with yeah, I think I think he was right to be honest and I think we've been lucky enough to guess you know, extra footage post game with conversations, an insight into the exact time that Bernard Foley had taken. You saw his own players, you know, remonstrate with him. So they all felt he was he'd he'd gone too far. And I think it takes a strong referee. And obviously, and I all just about Raynal. I think sometimes you see referees make a big call there, and then they look for an out. Um, you know, so they gift Australia a penalty or whatever to get them to you know to make sure the result ends the same way. Uh, but he didn't. You know, he, he doubled down. He um he he allowed New Zealand, I suppose, have the time um to to go and get the get the win without any without any infringement. So I think that he, I think he was right. Yeah, I think we all hate time wasting. Um, I totally understand as a coach. You know, you're telling Bernard Foley to manage that the best he can but without risking obviously the sanction that he he was hit with and um i think it's a good thing i I think it's a good thing if if it does help speeding up the game murray well at first i thought birch was going to say the exact opposite to be honest i thought you were (laughs) i thought you're going to be sympathizing with the wallabies and the the stress that they've been through they've now (laughs) written a, a letter to world rugby it's it's so serious an issue and i can't believe the moaning and the whining about it i think he made the right decision in that moment. And that's something that I haven't seen in in the, the opposite side of this argument is context. Like people are saying, where's the consistency? Sometimes you, you get 35, 40 seconds to kick a, a ball to touch. But that is literally in a very different context of the game, both in terms of like, obviously the end game, the All Blacks want a chance. And I know even if the clock runs into the red, the ball still has to be thrown into the line out. But there's a, a decent chunk of time still left there, potentially two phases of play or two passages of play as well as the context of the repeated warnings to, to Bernard Foley. 
he says play on we play time off he goes and says it directly to his face like we gotta play on now time goes on another five seconds elapse he says play Foley turns again like it's almost agonizing to watch to his forwards who are in a huddle and, and clearly aren't going to chase the ball Fichetti and, and the other backs are screaming at him there's a bit of context there as well and still he he, he kind of looks at, at Reynal one last time before he starts to move forward um, so I can understand why he made the decision. The other context is that in the first half, he's already given them a warning over this stuff. When there's two yellow cards for the Wallabies, they get a penalty actually in their own 22 and he stops play there as well. The the, the footage I have, the commentators are talking over the ref, which uh, always irritates me, but uh, you can hear him in the background saying, we play on, we play on to James Slipper at that stage. And, and he puts the time back on and says, come on, kick it into touch. So there's the context of that as well as the context that Matthew Reynal is refereeing you. And like, there's so much analysis done of referees now. There's so much understanding of, of who they are, how they make decisions. And you got to know at Reynal that he's a headstrong referee. Um, and after the game, the most interesting clip I thought is the one where he's talking to Nick White. And now I didn't like some of, of Reynal's maybe mm. attitude here, or the way he puts his finger into White's chest. But he says, um, I have it here. That's not fair what you did at the end. You just run the time. If you think I'm not capable to give a scrum and turnover you make a mistake and bang, the finger goes into his chest. So now you know it, he says. And listen, that's probably not a good image, I don't think. But, but that's Reynal. Like, he's headstrong. He saw it as a challenge to him as a, as a person, his authority as a referee. And he answered it by, in that context, giving that decision. I think he gave more than enough warning, though. And, and I, I honestly don't have a huge amount of sympathy for the Wallabies. I don't either, and I think that ultimately in a game of rugby, regardless of who is the referee, you have to do what the referee is telling you to do. That's just something that's implied from a very young age. Like, he is in charge of the game. If he's giving you instructions, if he's warning you, like, do what you're told. I know it sounds sort of babyish or um, as though you're subordinate to the referee, but actually within the context of those 80 minutes, you sort of are. Like, it's it's tough to swallow or whatever, but just do what you're told. I think, though, and Bert, I'll ask you about this, what Reynal says to Nick White in that little exchange afterwards, which has only emerged since, where he says, if you think I wasn't going to give it, now you know. Like, that suggests to me that it was too personal for Reynal. And, and all along, I was team Reynal throughout this. But when I saw that, <laughs> that suggests to me that it's quite a, a self-indulgent decision, actually, and that it was about proving a point. Oh, you want to test me? Well, I'll show you. And that's not the way you should be refereeing a game, I would suggest. Yeah, look at I um he probably let the emotion come to it. He would have known with that end game with New Zealand scoring, um, that this was gonna be a, a huge moment. And and Nick White was, was coming um to attack him effectively as well. Yeah, and so I look at I, I I agree with you, the language he used wasn't great, but that's effectively what you know, he was saying, Look at I'm strong enough to to make those decisions and and uh, if you doubted me now you know I, I i don't i think 24 hours later he might have handled it a little bit differently but he's in the middle of a pitch you know where there's the, the australians are furious he knows he's made the call he believes it's the right call um and nick white you know is probably he, i'm sure there's a there's a there's a long-standing relationship there um uh, whether of questioning and challenging etc etc so um he probably i think he probably didn't handle it that well and how he said it um, but yeah, like at the end of the day, I think the decision is technically right. So, um, you know, I, I, I hope someone in World Rugby is, is, is getting the, the shredder ready just to, when that letter comes in, just to put it, put it in the shredder. I mean, I think that's nonsense, um, to be honest. They've got to accept this. <laughs> They've got to accept it for what it is. Um, and and what are you, like, 
there's always wrong calls, right calls in games of the side test matches. Um, writing a letter to the World Rugby, uh, I, I think, is a, is a bit much. But look at um, the World the, the Rugby Championship has been fascinating. You know what I mean? It's been absolutely fascinating um, in terms of the weekly ups and downs of different teams. Um, Australia aren't far away. You know, they're not far away. But Rennie would have loved to have got that win. Um, and yeah, but look at I I I I'm probably more compassionate for Reynal because of spending five years with with the the strong personalities of French referees. You know, so if you're in the top fourteen or Pro D two, you know they might not be the best in the world, but they will make calls. You know what I mean? They will make calls and they'll back their 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 instinct. Um, yeah, I I would I would have questioned their knowledge of the laws in the past but in their ability to make a big call <laughs> there's no there's no doubt I mean they're in a furnace you know they're in a furnace every week you know what I mean um, and the pressure that's on them is, is incredible so um, yeah I'm not surprised by that but uh, I, I think you got it right and Gav sorry just to come in on that on, on your point like the, the reality of it is that every single match for 80 minutes, the players are constantly challenging the referees in this way. As in, like, you're not going to award this. We see it every breakdown. There's hands on the on, on the ground before they get on the ball. There's bits of time wasting. There's scrum illegalities. There's, like, bending the laws constantly for 80 minutes. And all of those are challenges to referees. And we actually complain as supporters and as media all the time about, like, why don't the referees just ping that? Like, it's a crooked feed into the scrum imagine if referee just had the 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 stones to to ping that every single time and yeah it is a bit personal but it's almost like right now was sticking up for the refs you know you've you've pushed us too far when good referees go bad kind of thing and he just had enough and he and he broke in that moment um like that's the thing like this one didn't go the wildies way they pushed the limit of the law they pushed it just too far this time and the referee actually said no i'm not i'm not having this now is that going to be consistently upheld I doubt it, but I don't see another context like this in every single game. Uh, and that's that's one of the things. That the time-wasting element is, is fascinating as well because I know in the Premier League uh, recently there's been loads of chat around Liverpool in particular about like teams against them are running down the clock and people are just completely confused about what should the referees actually do. They should just hire Matthew Reynal and he'll just give a penalty straight away every single time and Liverpool will win 5-0. Um, yeah, but just, just from a sporting point of view and a spectator sport... Um, you know, we want we want the game to like if there's two minutes left in the clock, we want those two minutes to be played. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, or else it's gonna like make nonsense of it if teams can just wind it down with. I mean, like, remember, like how many teams we, have, we don't see it very often anymore, where with two minutes to go, teams are going to a series of pick and goes or or a zigzag shape, and you're just you know, and and referees have often given a penalty against them there for seeding off or Nigel Owens, twenty thirteen. Uh, yeah, yeah, but you don't see that as much anymore because. Players, players, and team and coaches are afraid to take the risk now, so they'll probably take a couple of unless there's only thirty seconds left on the clock. But we we were seeing, you know, with a minute and a half to go, teams were really comfortable in in their pick and go game, just trying to wind it down. Now we don't see it as much. I think that's good. You know, I think it's good that there's that there's that fear of um, you know giving it away. So sometimes they kick most more often than not they're able to kick it, and it gives the team another chance um, to go at them. So. Um, I, I don't think it's a it's a bad thing, but certainly it's uh, it's definitely got the Aussies backs up. Oh, we're going to get some furious emails from Australian members, yeah. uh, of whom there are actually many. Uh, so apologies in advance. Just before we move on and chat about Ulster, Connacht, Murray, uh, Bert mentioned how good this rugby championship has been as a piece of entertainment, and it's funny we've spent a lot of the summer, maybe not the three of us, but Irish rugby fans generally slandering New Zealand. 
not only Irish rugby fans, in fact, just uh, writing them off. They're probably going to win it. So does that mean all four teams in this competition are absolutely pathetic or where we may be just a little bit overboard in our criticism of New Zealand following their serious defeat to Ireland and what happened to them at home against Argentina? I think they're all a little bit average at the moment. Um, and again, I'm inviting uh, our South African, Argentinian and Aussie and, and Kiwi viewers to complain about that. But like South Africa clearly are a little bit up and down this championship. Argentina have probably closed the gap a little bit, which is a credit to them. But yeah, I still don't think it's a, a great, great New Zealand team. I don't. Absolute credit to them for showing that bit of resolve. And there's clearly brilliant elements in that team that I do think will get better and be a little bit more consistent but it's something that we spoke about uh, relatively recently is just the sheer level nature of test rugby it's a really good illustration of it at the moment but i think it'll be a it's a great time for say for ireland in november now to play south africa they'll obviously have massive strengths coming here i think it's the most fascinating challenge for ireland yet but probably getting them at a decent time as well there's a bit of turmoil it seems in the camp as well all sorts of stuff going on there around um off the pitch stuff or rumours of them. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think... It's been a really fascinating, enjoyable rugby championship, but I don't think it's a vintage in terms of the top-level quality of it, if I'm being honest. Just from an Irish point of view, Birch, at the time that the November internationals were announced, South Africa was obviously the marquee fixture. They are the world champions. They just won a Lion, Lion series. So it was the most expensive game, ticketing-wise. But Ireland against the Wallabies is going to be a cracker, isn't it? It feels like those two games are almost on an even keel now. Yeah, they will be. But I actually think the more interesting one is is our ability to to handle South Africa's power. Um, we've seen Ireland, you know, develop their game plan and and against a team like New Zealand or Australia, be quite comfortable in that. You know, going toe to toe, ball in hand. Um, my my biggest concern is is that South African, you know, defense, kicking game, set piece, and just one out runner power. Um, that's what. I think we need to show we can we have the tools to um to match that so but yeah I think that, to be honest the Springbok game won't be a um a, spe- a spectacle um but it'll be fascinating in terms of where we're at and, and and you know can we actually overcome them because I think when they're on when, when they're on emotionally um there's not many teams in the world who can actually handle it um and then obviously the Australia game you know should be a, a cracking game because Australia under under Rennie um, you know they're a very attractive side to watch, and they have some dangerous players. So yeah, I think both games are huge, uh, and and you know uh, maybe on a par, but I think from a from a World Cup point of view, you know f- the friend the way France plays is, is is a little bit like South Africa, except maybe a little bit more individual flair. But um, certainly that France are tooled up in terms of that power game. So um, yeah, I, I think we learn more from South Africa than maybe from Australia. Let's chat Ulster-Connacht-Murray, a game that will probably be remembered by most for Stuart McCluskey's impact on it. How does this man have only six Ireland caps? Off you go. Because there's really good centres in Ireland. That's the, the reality of it for him. And it is a pity. I think, like, you, I, I was thinking about this earlier on. What test nations would he, would he start for? I think he'd start for England, for example. And they haven't really nailed down their 12 when... When two laggies away, I think he'd be a really good focal point for their attack. And there are loads of others because he is a player of that top level ability. I think he's been unfortunate with some of the Ireland caps where he's come in and there's been maybe unfamiliar combinations and it hasn't quite allowed him to to be at his best. I think of that that horrific Georgia game in, in when Farrell has kind of under the pump a little bit and, and, and everyone played poorly. But in this game, he just showed the full 
array of, of what he brings. His option taking out the line is immense. Because he's such a physical threat himself, defenders got to sit down on him. I think he's really excellent at making late decisions based on where defenders are, are biding at the last minute, whether to go out the back door. As you saw a few times, delay, delay, carry himself. He's well able to tuck the ball as well and go really direct with his carries. He defends superbly as well. It's not something that's talked about a lot. He's a choke tackle turnover threat. He's a jackal threat. And you see the desperation the the concern in in support attacking players all the time even Byron Ralston hammers in the side of a, a, a breakdown early on when when McCloskey's over the ball and then he has that offloading ability that is uh, you know really really elite Sonny Bill Williams-esque I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the one for Luke Marshall's try was just awesome just a stunning moment even Luke Marshall's clear disbelief that he kind of got the ball away and he's going is this try going to be allowed here but it was just a magnificent demonstration of his I think vision to see space that wasn't there for anyone else on the pitch really no one else conceives of getting the ball in there because they don't have his long levers they don't have his grip strength his control of the ball his ability to ride that contact from Fitzgerald on his right hand side and daily closing on his left and just have the confidence to have the, the ball in behind there I know Penn advantage is playing it definitely feeds into his ability to do that his understanding also in that moment of Luke Marshall's natural inclinations to, to run a really straight square line um, and be there in behind and then just to, to to leave it off as he's in contact is just a stunning stunning moment he's got a decent kicking game as well he can pass on the move and and yeah he's an absolutely complete player it's fascinating that you know last season we're talking about him and James Hume's partnership then you see him play here with Marshall and you think this is a brilliant partnership as well and and he's the, obviously the common piece in that he's making everyone else around him look good and that's what he does in Ulster teams. I think even on their bad days, you can see that often he's the the one who's trying to drive turnarounds and um, just a brilliant bit of work to keep him into this season and beyond because last year, he obviously, he was out of contract. From what I hear, there was a bit of interest from France and a, a bit of concrete interest, but he's got family and stuff now and, and he's very happy and settled as a as a key leader for, for Ulster. But this was just a brilliant outing from him like these games are are very scrappy at the start of the season there's generally not much but this was one to to kind of dine out on it was a joy to watch Birch this is by no means a criticism of Robbie Henshaw or Bundy Aki but more so an effort to include Stu McCloskey in a conversation about a a trio or just um, speak about him in this context what is it to your mind that separates Aki and Henshaw who have 40 and 60 caps respectively I think from McCloskey who is only six. Um, they just got mo- they've got momentum and they've got I suppose time in the Ireland jersey. I, I think that's th- that's the key to it. To be honest, they've had the confidence of the coach, um, you know, earlier than than Stewart uh, and and than the Stuart McCluskey, and that's a huge thing. Just getting that momentum. So the rotations have generally been, um, you know, Bundy, Ro- uh, Robbie, and and Gary Ringrose, and obviously Hume. We got to look at him last year, but realistically for. McCluskey would only have six caps. Um, I think that's he hasn't had the opportunity to prove what he can do at international level, but certainly on a week to week basis with Ulster, um, he always looks like a player who has the the, the tools. And, and I, I think it's a it's going to be a shame because I don't think he's going to get twenty five caps. Uh, you know, it's unlikely at the moment. And there's also big talk about this. You know, this Munster centre Anton Frisch, who's obviously Irish qualified, who. Who may come from nowhere and 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 kind of squeeze, squeeze him, squeeze him out. Um, that has to be proven yet. But they certainly talk about him from Bristol and talk about him 
back in France and the talk about him from Munster over pre-season is that he has something a little bit special now as Stuart has uh, has a, a lot of quality as well but yeah that's, I just I, I genuinely don't think there's a huge amount um, he's, he's not the lads aren't far superior to him at all it's just they have been getting you know constant international rugby and have done very well so there's no need to really question it but uh, yeah I, I think he's quite unlucky he's quite unlucky um, I think you know, he, as as Murray said, he probably would get regular starts for most other countries. Maybe the other players that you mentioned there got to that level quicker and more consistently earlier in their careers, and that's been a challenge for McCluskey. He probably would put his hand up and accept. Like he hasn't always been the player he is now, which is natural. But you think of a young Robbie Henshaw, a force of nature, very early. Aki was similar. Ringrose obviously similar. And sometimes by the time you get there, you've kind of missed that train a little bit. Hmm. No, it's a fair point. How impressed were you by Ulster generally, Murray, or was this a case of Connacht not really pitching up? Um, there's definitely two sides to that coin that are equally relevant. But in terms of Ulster, I do think given the nature of it being so early in the season, there were so many guys who looked really in tune and they clicked together in an impressive fashion. Um, you can kind of go across the team for impressive individuals. Tom Stewart gets player to match, a really exciting prospect, I think a hooker. And we've gone from a position where, you know, Rory Best was retiring and there wasn't clear succession plan there. It wasn't really sure. There are a few even themselves weren't really sure what was happening, but you got Keller, you got Sheehan, now you've got Tom Stewart. And I think he is of that um, high, high test level potential. He's a big unit. He's quick. You saw his burst off the mall for his, his try where he's clever. He's just watching Dave Heffernan. Heffernan bites in, puts his head into the mall. Away he goes with really nice acceleration for the Doak try. He has that little bit of footwork once he breaks off to get around Seamus Hurley-Langton and very nearly score himself. The scrum was really good for Ulster and, and no doubt he has a part to play in that. Um, and he looks like, yeah, he looks like the player that we've been hearing about behind the scenes. A lot of people in Ulster telling you this guy is one to watch. He could really accelerate even in this year. Um, so he was a good example up front. And again, the, the forwards in Ulster is something that's always been discussed. To have that homegrown prospect is, is brilliant. But as was the case last season the the back line were just um really dangerous on every possession i like stuart moore at 15 i think his balance his decision making is is really nice there even his work right off the ball is is excellent and then outstanding see stuart or uh, jacob stockdale rather back and i know there were errors early on in the game but you saw lots of little glimpses of him a kind of breakdown the left hand side a bit of his physicality even a nice one-handed take to show his skill level after moore gets a, a kick block down the first half so I think they deserve credit as their coaching staff do for being quite cohesive and, and primed looking in the first game of the season. Birch, your area of expertise, formerly at least, talk to us about Tom Stewart and does he belong in the conversation or will he belong, let's say, later in the season, later in his career, uh, in the conversation yeah. with the two no, Ireland guys? He's, yeah, he's coming through and as Murray said, he um, he he's physically has has the, um, the presence that most teams need um, you know uh, in terms of the modern day hooker so I think he <coughs> it's great to see him in fairness Dan um, Dan will do a good job with him on, in terms of his scrummage and his throwing he's going to get a lot of confidence because um, Ulster's maul is, is 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 very very strong and he's, he's going to pick up a lot of tries um, yeah so I, I think he's someone that's going to uh, definitely push but you know Ulster now have, have Rob Herring as well so um, he, he won't get he won't get it all his own way up there, um, but obviously he's got age an age um, 
benefit on or an age advantage on on Herring. So he, I think he's the long term replacement to to Herring for sure, and and will get lots of Irish caps. I think from a Connacht point of view, it's a worrying first game. Uh, to be honest, um, you know I I, I know Connacht are heading away to South Africa to play the Sharks today, and and they you know they went down to the Lions last year and and got a win, but. Um, yeah, it's it, it, and they'll have the advantage of having had 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 this game, which probably stands to them. But I don't know. I I, I worry about um I worry about Connacht this season in a in a much improved URC, and if they don't get anything you know positive out of these two weeks away, uh, it's going to be a, a a difficult you know difficult start to season and difficult to get confidence and momentum. You know, um, and and also then for the for the players who've come in, you know, I know a lot of them didn't play at the weekend, but um. You know, it's 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 going to be harder for them to to bring that mental strength if it's on the back of a of a of a dressing room which which is low in confidence. So um, yeah, it's it's a bit of worry for Andy Friend and his coaching team. I think um, their their performance the other night. Come in on Connacht there, Murray. What are your thoughts there? Uh, yeah, I'd be similarly concerned about that start. It was probably the one you feared a little bit, and it probably was just a continuation of of last season, which is the most concerning part. Like it felt very familiar. Even with some fresh faces in the team, it didn't feel like a fresh effort. Some similar issues with defence. I thought they were probably overpowered in the close quarters again. And and Birch kind of flagged that preseason as as a as a concern for them. Their discipline looked really sloppy. 15 penalties. You're, you're never really giving yourself a good chance of winning there. Loads of them around the ruck. They got on the wrong side of, of Own Cross, the, the referee. And, and it, there were some easy decisions for him there. Like I think even Porch... Like tackling Nathan Doak after he's kicked, it's just the easiest way for Ulster to get out of their half. You're not going to be able to build pressure in their in their half from the the ensuing line out, um, and it's just sloppy play. So I, I just felt like this is this is the conduct of last season, um, and they missed Jack Cardi at ten as well. I think the 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 halfbacks probably didn't give them a whole lot of direction. Even when David Hawkshaw actually came on and, and Caelan Blade, they produced obviously a superb score that underlines some of the strengths that Connacht do have. And the things that have to base their game around, but um, Cardi's just a—he is the heartbeat of it all. Like they're very reliant on him as a skipper to to lead it now, but also in terms of his direction of their of their play and and giving it a bit of shape, which it looked a little bit um, thoughtless is the wrong word, but a little bit shapeless at, at times. So it, it doesn't get any easier for them, and that's the the concern about this very very tough start to the season. You know, by round seven, the first block over they could really be chasing their tails again. I guess I was going to ask you that, Bridge, just how much we could be in danger of overanalyzing or, or putting too much stock in one Connacht performance, given Carty isn't there as well. And I know like there are various aspects of their game that were off par or, or under it uh, at the weekend, but just the fact that he is your talisman and he does allow things to really tick. Like Maybe we're just having a different conversation once he's back in the fold and, and they're up and running, to, so to speak. Mm, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I wish, I hope that's the case, but I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, you know, their their inability to stop the Ulster Mall the other night is a worrying sign. So last year, at the start of the season, they they showed big improvement there, which in an area that had been a, an Achilles heel for them the season before, started to become more vulnerable towards the end of the season. And, and I would have expected and hoped you know that that was an area that they could, um, uh, could again start the season well. Um, but no, they they didn't look to have the, yeah, the, the power or the aggression or, or 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 the collectiveness to to stop what is a very good Ulster Mall. To be fair, but I mean, you know, 
as they go now, you know, th- that teams who are just going to say, right, we can kick to the corner against Connacht and we'll probably score. Um, and that's a bad, uh, I suppose, um, that's a bad message to send out to to opposition coaches who have packs who can can do damage. So look, it it can be fixed, um, but I just worry about their 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 player pool, particularly in terms of just size uh, and, and power. Um, they're all they're always going to be a little bit behind there, but I think they've they've allowed themselves to become you know further behind in that area. And you know, as we go into the winter, you can't outrun teams every week. So. Um, it could be it could be difficult. It could be a very very difficult season for them. They have Bundyaki and and Bielham coming back into the squad for this trip to South Africa. That'll help and that physical aspect of it. And Hansen as well, who I hope we see played fifteen and, and bringing his incredible creativity and um, uh, I suppose flary edge to to proceedings. That'll be a boost for him, Gav. But yeah, they've got to bounce back very convincingly, and it's not just going to be based on three guys coming into the team. Two more for you, Bert, just on Ulster's side. Stuart Moore at 15, we've seen them try it, um, or we saw them try it a little bit towards the end of last season in particular. How did you feel he goes there? What does he add there? And also, Stockdale, admittedly, his first game back, so it was never going to be a pristine sort of performance, but it was just nice to be reminded of his qualities in glimpses. And could you sort of um, lay out for us what those qualities that he brings to the table would add to a fully functioning my cat Ireland attack because we just haven't seen those two things melded yet. Oh, absolutely. Look, I think um, uh, Stockdale, if he gets back to the player he was pre-injury, um, is a lethal finisher for us. And um, you know, the, the my cat style is 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 very much about you know playing to playing to where the space are, where the numbers are, but highly focused on that being able to go back down the blind side and um if teams don't get their defense right in terms of the the right bodies there Stockdale one on one with his power and pace and also that little kick kick uh, over the top he has um uh, is is a is a is a different threat than the Mac Hansons and the James Lowe's who who have done very well um and Keith Arson and Andrew Conway but he as an out and out finisher he's probably he's he's probably better than those um now what they have is is work rate, busyness, being able to play off their wings, etc., which we have to see him develop that. But I think it's a big boost, particularly for Ulster. I'm not sure if he's going to have the impact with Ireland um, that he had in the past. We'll have to wait and see. But from an Ulster point of view, I'd be shocked if he wasn't, you know, a, a real threat for them on a on a on a weekly basis and adds to the firepower in a in a very good backline. I mean, the Ulster backline is is class, and and, and Stuart Moore coming in at 15. Um, at the weekend, every time we see him, I think he impresses us, um, and he's someone that you know could become a key key player for for Ulster over the next couple of seasons. Murray, when you were settling in on RT on Saturday, did you envisage Zebra Leinster becoming one of the games of the season on Match Week One? No, <laughs> Daryl Breen asked me before the game, "Can I can you see it being a contest?" And I basically said no. With all Zebra's changes, like obviously loads of new players coming in, quite a kind of South African and, and Kiwi influence on the team, which I kind of had a, as a concern, you know, it's mostly there as a development vehicle for Italian rugby, but clearly bringing in that crop of, of foreign talent has, has added something. And yeah, they deserve massive credit for making a game of it. I thought it was just going to go the way it usually goes once Leinster scored a couple of tries in the first half, once their forwards got on top. But the 
uh, clarity of their set piece strikes in particular was superb, and and Leinster in a really poor defensive performance uh, really struggled to to get a hand on them at times. I think it's brilliant for URC to see Zebra delivering a performance like this. We don't have. I suppose they probably don't want to be applauded for for losing a game and they'll feel that it slipped away from them. Even in the last minutes, like maybe five minutes ago, you could see that they probably did lack that little belief. They were kind of thinking, wow, we're in this position. Why don't you take the ball and score that winning try? And they were shoveling a bit of uh, manure to each other. But it was excellent stuff from them to get back in the game. Leinster obviously going to have have frustrations about it. It really looked from Leinster like a pre-season game in terms of their performance, in terms of their fatigue levels. Like some of the guys were absolutely out on their feet uh, at stages and given that they only played one preseason game it, it kind of looks like they kind of had this down as their their second one um just in terms of the the i say it looked like players had run quite a bit even in the last couple of weeks someone like charlie natai was really struggling with the pace of the game that affected their defensive line speed they just didn't have any um consistency in that area they were disconnected quite a bit as well and and unfamiliar combinations even in the midfield with, with osborne and and natai but I'm kind of coming down on the side of giving Zebra more credit here and, and thinking that's brilliant to see this for the league. Is it one, Birch, where Leo Cullen publicly can sort of express a little bit of frustration or disappointment in his side's performance, but given that he was probably incorporating it as part of their preseason program to some degree, in the background he might be fairly satisfied, get out with a bonus point win and just kick off the season, get a minutes under people's belts, essentially? Yeah, no, I think he will. I think he will. He, obviously, if they had lost the game... Um, he would have been more frustrated, but to get five points to to see areas um, that weren't functioning, I thought Jason Jenkins was a a real positive for them and, and showed exactly why you know Leinster made the decision to to take him from Munster if he can be injury free. That was the big thing that held him back in Munster. He just got no luck, so it's great to see him be fit for the start of the season and give them that power. Um, you know that, that sometimes against against the, the the bigger teams that they sometimes lack a little bit. Um I thought uh Charlie Natai, you know, he he showed nice touches, but I agree with Murray, he looked he looked a bit undercooked. Um and uh, yeah, without a doubt they definitely Leinster would have felt um this was a game they would win away from home and I do think they they probably left they were a little bit undercooked on purpose and, and saw this as their second preseason game and they got away with it. They got away with it, you know. Um and Reese Ruddock was was excellent. Um, and when you look at, you know, you look at the bench, you saw the likes of Brian Deeney, you know, John McKee, Michael Min, um, Alex Soroka on it. So, you know, there's young players who, um, you know, haven't had a huge amount of time in in, in the in the senior Leinster jersey. Uh, so Leinster have still a huge amount of quality to to bring in, but there'll be lots to work on this week as they play as they get ready for Treviso. Here's a question from one of our members, Noel, in the 42 members WhatsApp group. And it's members.the42.e. If you want to join us there, hop into the WhatsApp group. You can ask us questions directly for the pod. Noel says, Murray, are there concerns that Leinster are becoming too forward-oriented in their play? Against Zebra, for example, they punished Zebra's indiscretions via the line out of Mall, but never really built much uh, offense apart from that. Not using just that game as, a, as an example, but it feels like they are less likely to score tries from outside of the 22 than they used to well firstly i'm looking forward to another season of being very challenged by the members questions there's always great depth of knowledge like it's not just headline stuff is it and some great points made within that question i did think there were little glimpses of leinster's um like attacking intent in terms of their shape earlier in the game there were some lovely link passes from the likes of 
Deegan, Ross Maloney. There's one stage where they play in the three pod out the back to Ross Byrne. He tips on to Ed Byrne and he makes a lovely offload to Nata and they very nearly score. And it was the kind of moment where if they'd actually scored there, you think the, the scoreline would have would have run up. There was another one in their own half where Maloney goes out the back and they play a, a from right to left uh, rather than kicking out of their, their 22. So clearly there are those elements to their game. I think we've seen in the past they can play with lovely uh, interplay and connection in the middle third of the pitch with forwards tipping on passes and going out the back door. In the 22 in this game, it, it suited them to be very blunt and guys like Jason Jenkins were winning contests with that usual excellent latch work. But I definitely think that's one area where Leinster can still get better is having that little bit more variety in how they finish. And again, we've seen little flourishes of it where they've used penalty advantage to to play out the, the back of someone like Robbie Henshaw releasing the ball late when he's got three defenders closing in on him um, and having that little bit more variety. Again, something that Birch mentioned in terms of their tax, tactical flexibility, wasn't it, Birch, you, you said last week, is it is a, a challenge for them this season. And I, I think it's really interesting to see what Stuart Lancaster comes up with in that regard. He's usually ahead of the curve, but now Leinster are obviously chasing the, the pack and they've got to close up on others. So I think Noah's made good points there in terms of Leinster having that little bit more variety. And even in a game where they are physically dominant, not just completely relying on that. You play what's in front of you, of course, but there is an end goal um, for, for Leinster. And it's the end of the season, of course. And it's those bigger games where you've had a, a really good chance to become very familiar with some of the tactics that could prove key in, in just making that little difference. Yeah, it's a funny one, Birch, isn't it? Because you could only say it about a team as dominant as Leinster have been in this competition traditionally and just as competent as they are. But you'd wonder sometimes in games where you're almost, well, I'm going to say you're almost guaranteed to win like a zebra that nearly came unstuck at the weekend rather than maybe going for the uh, obvious option of, say, a line-out mall, which you know is almost guaranteed to go for a score. Like, do you experiment like it is tough because as Murray says you do have to sort of play what's in front of you and contextually that is the right option in the game even if you're not necessarily expanding or developing your game by doing so yeah but I think they're going to have to look at those options they're going to have to I suppose take risks in 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 the in in this part of the season or certainly you know December January um to to prepare themselves for knockout rugby, you know they're they're going to be they're going to be there thereabouts in, in both competitions. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's obviously Europe. Europe is, is is disappointing that they haven't obviously added to their to their titles. But you know, not winning the URC last year is another lesson in in terms of just you know uh, not getting too carried away with with those weekly wins in, in the URC. Like, to be honest, the URC has got a lot better, but Leinster still have the squad and tools to um, to win, you know, nine weeks out of ten in it, I think, uh, because of the depth that they have and, and how, you know, how well drilled they are in, in their game plan. But just, you wonder, is there another layer that they just need to have in their back pocket um, that they're going to have to maybe have some pain, um, you know, short term, but, you know, obviously not, take any risks in terms of seedings and things like that but um, certainly look to have uh, different elements of, of their game because what they do they do really well but unfortunately it hasn't brought them probably the, tr- the trophies it has the has brought them uh, like URC titles but uh, or Pro 14 titles but it hasn't got them as many European Cups as I think they're capable of doing 
Are Munster in for some short-term pain before the game, Murray, as they bed in new coaches and new ideas? Um, I think when their strongest or stronger team is out, probably not a huge amount of pain. I think they're more than good enough to win most games in the URC. I think it was probably an eye-opening exercise for the, the coaching staff, just underlining where they are with some of the stuff they want to implement, or, or rather, sorry, where some of the players are with being able to implement some of the things they, they want to do. Like, Munster's deeper squad, it's not as deep as, as others, I don't think. You know, when you, when you make a big, hefty lump of rotation, it's um, it's just not as strong. Other guys are going to close up that gap, but there are others who are probably in their mid-20s now and, and probably haven't closed up that gap on the front liners, and, um, and that's going to be a challenge for them. I, I think even in terms of how they attacked, it was really... Um, it was really frustrating for for players and coaches alike. You can see that they're trying to obviously implement Mike Prendergast's attack. It looks like a, a one three three one shape, which is very familiar. But there's going to be loads of subtleties in between the the pods of forwards and the backs and how they connect with each other. And it was probably an element of overthinking on on the move in this game. Most illustrated, I think, by the breakdown sloppiness or lack of urgency or lack of intent. Cardiff got seven breakdown turnovers. In this game which is a, a big number and just denies you all momentum when you have possession of the ball when Munster did manage to get a bit of flow we saw glimpses I, I think of even Fekito making a break followed by Patterson making a lovely little arcing run off the rock and and that was a an exciting passage for Munster but aside from that they did just break up that flow by not being accurate aggressive enough at the breakdown obviously a, a lot of ball down particularly in the first half there's that edginess and over eagerness from someone like Ma- Malachi Fekitoa putting down ball you wouldn't expect um, and also being under pressure from from Cardiff's excellent defense and, and they were full value for the win again it's good for the URC that they looked stronger and they were obviously awful last season across the, the board in all areas of the game but with some strong signings they could be a, a bigger force but um yeah I, I did think it was a frustrating outing for Munster I, I expected it to be honest. I thought Cardiff were were gonna win this game because it's early days for Munster because they had quite a um, second stringish look to their their side. But there's lots of stuff there for the coaches to probably get a, a nice reminder that they have a lot of work ahead of them if they want to shift in a in a different direction, which is which is certainly what they want to do. What did you see them trying to do differently, Birch, that maybe didn't quite come off on the day? But were, was there evidence, I guess, of uh, progression in their game or basically just uh, Mike Prendergast putting a stamp on their attack, for example? Yeah, look, I, I think there's definitely, there's going to be that betting in period where, you know, um, timing is a little bit off, people not really unsure of the roles, um, when to pull the trigger or when to play, um, play to the line and probably get a you know, get away from some of the tactical kicking that that was kind of embedded in them, and and um, helped them win. You know, lots of games. Um, but I I don't I I think we didn't see enough. The problem was their handling kind of let them down so much that they didn't really get a lot of chances to build serious momentum and 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 a, and a series of phases. So you could see you could see what that attacking shape looked like. You know, after after phase five, phase six, phase seven, that we didn't get enough of that. Um, I I did fear. I I'm like Murray. I thought Cardiff would win this. I think, and it's great to see Cardiff play like this and get a win because they were absolutely desperate at the end of the last year. They um, uh, they really looked like a team who were struggling with their identity. And I think Falatau coming back um has been huge for them. Obviously, Liam Williams was uh signing 
should be great. Unfortunately, he had to go off just after half an hour um, and hasn't played a huge amount for Scarlett in this competition, has been very unlucky with injuries. But I think if you get Liam Williams fit and Faletau fit, um, and then you you know, you know had people like Josh Adams, who um, is, is quality and, and highly competitive, you know, Reese Priestland, um, you know, there's got some good props, you know, uh, with Carey and, and, and Dylan Lewis, etc. So they have the makings of a, of a good team. And they were probably just going to be, um, a, they were stronger on paper than Munster, given that Munster have players come back from international rugby, etc. But um, long term, I, I don't think there's any real fear of Munster being better than Cardiff. Um, I suppose it's a race now for Munster to get to get their game in place. And even take the example, like defensively for Dennis Leamy, I mean, you know, the last try, um, like just, it's just a, it's a simple set piece play where they just don't get their, their spacings right. And, and Summerhill, um, uh, Summerhill, you know, gets in, gets in or down the, down the line. And, and like, I, I would be very, I'd be shocked if in a month's time, all those little areas, um, weren't nailed in. And, um, Munster will be much more comfortable defensively as well. Poor enough. One's yeah. just like not finishing a tackle. Yeah. The other one's just in the back of a line out. Basic stuff. Yeah. That was basic, but in a rush to to try and implement your broader philosophy, um, you kind of only, you only get exposed uh, early in the season and you learn what people don't know. Um, so, uh, areas that they can definitely uh, fix and will fix over the next couple of months. I think it'll be January, to be honest, before we really see what Dennis Leamy is bringing defensively and we see what Mike Prendergast is bringing attack-wise. Obviously, we need to see bits of it um, and hopefully it comes quicker than that. But I think realistically, it could be January before there's everybody on the same page. What did you make of their kicking game, Murray, just before we wrap on Munster? Because I thought that was the most pronounced change to what we'd seen from them last season in that they weren't really kicking contestably. It was more so about territory to what extent it paid off I'm not sure but it was a clear sea change anyway at least to my mind yeah I thought that was one of the, the jarring bits of it and I don't think it did pay off in this game I think there was almost a bit of muddiness in terms of like what are we doing in this specific area and again if it is new and you're under the pressure of of, of a real life game it, it's hard to implement exactly what the coaches have wanted I thought the halfbacks probably could have done a better job in that as well and Patterson and Healy it just felt like there wasn't a whole lot of um, control and composure, especially when they were trying to get out of their half. Um, they kept inviting kicks back onto, or sorry, attack back onto them from Cardiff, particularly in the second half. Like basically the whole thing is just Munster exiting poorly, Cardiff counter-attack and build pressure until Munster give a penalty. And I felt in that sense, the, the Summerhill try really was coming for a, for a long time. They definitely need... And they'll get it more clarity around what exactly they're doing in, in getting out. Because, like, obviously we've said maybe Munster have gone too far down that route of kicking contestably, pressuring teams with their with their king game. But that has to be part of the picture. You, you can't go completely away from that. The most expansive teams in the world or the team like Ireland, who are renowned for their phase play attack, also rely on pressuring you with their kick and having a really excellent, aggressive, try-scoring defence. Those um, foundational elements are, are a massive part of it that uh, that put you in positions to to flourish with your attack. So, yeah, it just probably underlines again that there's a, <laughs> there's so much work to do and it's a case of what do you focus on here and players as well, not just the coaches, grasping that and, and taking care of that. I thought Crowley looked good when he came off the bench. There was a little bit more shape on their attack and, and while it wasn't perfect, I thought he um, again underlined his... his uh, 
potential I suppose is what it still is and again the coaches are going to get a better sense of their depth chart and who they want to push forward now into into starts and the thing is like there's also urgency with this I, I know there's got to be patience and the coaches have got to get time to, to implement what they want to do January you know we'll see a better picture of but if you're losing games by January you're out of that Champions Cup race and you're not in a playoff spot and you're on another season where you're coming into the end game under massive pressure so there's got to be um I suppose results to go along with the evolution I did want to ask you actually Birch as well about Crowley because you'd be okay obviously with a apprendi attack and what that looks like and it just feels as though he probably has uh, more of a run threat and like just stresses the defensive line or keeps them honest more so than a Healy, even though Healy obviously has his own qualities. Could you see this being a season where Crowley puts his hand up a little bit and, and possibly even changes the pecking order there at 10? Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, Jake Flannery is obviously another quality 10 who's gone to gone to Ulster. So, um, you know, he, he he's likely to get more game time. Joey, unfortunately, has has had a lot of injuries over his over his career so he misses a lot of weeks um so you could see Crowley push with Ben Healy to to get game time and he definitely would have the the tools the natural game to suit the Mike Prendergast attack but um I think Healy to be honest has developed um his run pass game um quite well so uh, and also he's proven that he has the big match temperament um and brings a lot of of quality with his, with his kicking game as well so yeah I, I like Crowley we, we've all been talking about him for a long time um, and I, I do think that certainly his skill set would suit Prendergast but I wouldn't write off Healy at all I think he's 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 probably the, the it's his it's his minutes to lose as such yeah we'll probably come back to that topic over the course of the season but just, just to expand it before we go boys here was a question from Michael Halpenny one of our members, and he wanted to get both of your thoughts, I'll start with yourself, Murray, on the development squad that was named last week. Who do you think is the most likely back and the most likely forward to make Ireland's World Cup squad out of that emerging Ireland squad? Good question. Bert, you go first, because I always end up naming like 15 players, so you yeah. go first this time. <laughs> um, the most likely back is Kieran Frawley, um, and the most likely forward is, is Joe McCarthy. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's... I don't. I don't see any bolters, to be honest. I. I. I don't see them. Um. I don't see too many bolters get in in time, uh, and that certainly won't be on this tour. It, it'll be. Can they get into Champions Cup side for Munster or, uh, or Ulster or Leinster? Or, um. Can they be you know big players in derby matches against um the other Irish provinces for Connacht? Um. Uh, you know. So obviously, Keane Prendergast. You know, was it was in New Zealand. Um. And he he obviously has has a, has a chance, but for me, it's probably McCarthy and, and Frawley. Which isn't I go Nathan. It's, it's boring because you know you'd love to be able to go. Oh, it's going to be you know Shea Mullins or someone, but I don't see it happen. Yeah, I was going to say Nathan Doak, who I think did have a good game for Ulster again and has a really rounded skill set for a 20, 20 year old. He's one of the interesting ones because you know in his mind he might be like, I'd rather stay at home and and fight for that number one spot in in Ulster and and that might be more of a benefit for him. And then for the forwards, I go left field. I go. I go really left field. I go Cormac is a Chukwu. Yeah, I, I think he's got too. massive potential. He, yeah. He's really raw. He's still relatively new to professional rugby, but also playing second row. He's got a great story. We did an interview with him last year on, on the 42. It's it's worth checking out because he's different to your usual rugby player and, and a very thoughtful and engaging young man. But he's got a lovely skill set as well. Big, powerful, can offload. They really fancy him in Ulster. And listen, it'll be 
an incredible acceleration but he's of the profile that we don't have a, a lot of I suppose in, in Irish rugby he's a powerful forward who can play a lot as well and probably suits what Ireland are doing but that'll be some journey Has your mind been changed at all there Birch? No no I, I, I do I, I, I like Doak um, a lot um, I probably felt he should have been maybe fast tracked I thought he should have been included last year um, in the Six Nations um, but yeah he may he may get there I, I don't know I, I think just Murray's point about Maybe it's better for Nathan Doak to stay. I think certainly, anecdotally, and what I'm hearing back is, even some of the players who are picked to go on this tour aren't sure if it's good for them. You know that they're um, they're not sure where they are in the pecking order. You know because obviously there's been a lot of compromises. This is certainly not the group that the RFU originally thought would go down there. Um, so yeah, but look at it's a chance to go away with Ireland and and there's certainly guys there who who probably weren't going to play provincial rugby over that period. So. It is it is good for them to get to get game time, um, but yeah, it's a bit of a mismatch to me this, this tour. The two guys you mentioned, though, Birch, like Frawley <clears throat> and McCarthy, so they get t- like McCarthy gets two weeks with Paul O'Connell, which is going to be unbelievably valuable to him, I would imagine, uh, just based on the what he's done in that position. And Frawley with my cat, and he's going to be completely familiar with every aspect of the attack system. So let's say those two guys plus a few others who put themselves in the mix for wider squad or even backup list uh, for the World Cup. Do you still not think it's worthwhile doing now? I, I look at I, I love tours. I think this I think this would have been a brilliant tour um, in in August or um, or in in June pre- preferably. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd look at it. Andy Farrell. Andy Farrell is going to be here, going around the provinces, working and, and keeping an eye on the fellas who were in New Zealand. You know, um, in general. So. Um, uh, and the quality of opposition like Kieran Foley was in New Zealand did really well Kieran Foley probably would be in November for a month with Ireland um, he's going to have at, you know opportunities sorry they can give him opportunities to 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 get time in the saddle um, so yeah I don't think it's worth look there's nothing wrong with the tour um, I just don't think it's worth the bad blood it's caused for the provincial coaches and that lack of understanding of of what is of of what's to be gained from it, and I look at the the RFU and it's their job, but PR wise they'll say, look, it's brilliant, and we're going to find players, etc. But I I still think that the testing ground for finding players up to now has been pretty good, which is you know be good in the URC, be good in the Champions Cup, um, get get ahead of somebody who's ahead of you in Ireland for your province. And you know Andy Farrell and, and Paul O'Connell can make decisions on you. Then that like that model hasn't hasn't isn't broken as far as I'm concerned. I mean you know it got us to beat the All Blacks in 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 the summer. So, um, but I also and we've spoken about before. I think there is an issue to get certain players more game time. Um, and I would be all for as I said before somebody who's who's out there trying to get game time for, for some of those fringe players abroad. London Irish and Worcester being up for sale for a while, you know, that's a bit left field. But, um, you know, I, I think we could do another team or certainly at least 10 or 12 youngsters playing regularly, Crowley being possibly going to La Rochelle a couple of years ago was an opportunity that we all thought would make sense. Um, but I'll never, I'll never agree that a, a tour in, in September is going to solve that. You know what I mean? To to play the Grickas, the Pumas and the, and the, the Cheetahs, that... Uh, I, I think getting a guy away for four or five months to play Pro D2 if he's a young lot prop um, or you know someone going to play top 14 for a period will be far better for them in terms of their development than this tour which 
I don't think it'll ever happen again. Mm. It's definitely a once-off. The timing and the communication are definitely massive issues. And if there is long-term damage done, that's a massive pity. But then, like, for the next three, four weeks, you're going to have, instead of, what, uh, 60 Irish players starting games, you're going to have, let me get my maths right here, 90 90 or or over 100, Birch. Again, like, the internationals are coming back, playing for their provinces. So, like, the provinces will be okay. We, As you say, we always talk about, like, there's this depth of of Irish rugby player. I get so many messages from fans saying, like, you know, we should have a fifth province. There's not enough outlet for for young guys many of whom are in this squad and now they're actually getting that chance there's definitely drawbacks to it but i think over the next few weeks i actually think this might accelerate um lots of these young guys and and they come back and and put themselves in a regal position with their province hopefully oh we're back we're back (laughs) (laughs) i could keep going all day we do have to call it uh birch it was great to see you again thanks a million you guys talk to you soon murray thank you you're back on wednesday with the big man owen yeah, looking forward to that. It is good to be back into the swing of things, lads. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you to everybody at home as well. If you want more of these podcasts every Monday, it's members.the42.ie. It'll be back behind the membership next week, so unavailable for non-members, unfortunately, but hopefully you enjoy today and you'll join us for the new season. That includes as well Wednesday pods and post-match pods during international windows. So for members, catch you on Wednesday. For non-members, we'll catch you again on Friday for a weekly free pod which will still be around. Until then, mind yourselves, take it easy. On the radio,